Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Ontario is planning to implement a province-wide lockdown. Was this inevitable? And what happened here in Hamilton to make his move to lockdown? We'll get some explanation to that. And the chair of Hamilton's Wentworth District School Board, Don Danko, joins us, and she is supporting asymptomatic testing in schools as Hamilton sees 45 cases in just four days. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. In Hamilton, we knew that this was going to happen because we were pretty much told last week uh, that we were going to be moving into the uh, the danger zone, if I can uh, borrow a song from Kenny Loggins, uh, and into gray from the, the red that we were in simply because the numbers were going up. And as much as it's frustrating and as much as it uh, can be prohibitive, especially for small businesses, uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger says, well, the restrictions are justified. We actually did, uh, you know, think that the red zone with the enhancements uh, we were hopeful that that would have some, you know, additional impact in terms of reducing the numbers, but it hasn't seemed to be borne out. And so uh, I don't, I don't think it left the province too many options other than decide to be consistent with uh, other lockdowns that they've done in the province. And it's happening in other places too. And I know that when that announcement was made, and Hamilton was included in that list with the uh, the GTA and Peel and York Region and and of course uh, Wind- Windsor. Uh, we thought, well, that should be it. But uh, there were always rumors that we heard on Friday afternoon in the early part of the weekend that there was another shoe to drop here. And it looks like that's going to happen later on today uh, when Premier Ford announces that uh, this is actually going to be a province-wide lockdown in varying degrees. Because I, I I, I, you can't really, as we've talked about on this program before, you can't do a one-size-fits-all. Uh, because what's going on in Toronto or Hamilton or London is not the same thing that's going on in, in Blind River up north or up, you know, Rainy River or Cobalconk or wherever you know you want to use as an option. So there will probably be some variations. As a matter of fact, that north-south divide is, is going to be one of the first variations. Uh, the announcement that we're anticipating later on today from the Premier is that uh, the 28-day uh, ban, is lockdown, is going to be in southern Ontario. Now, I don't know where they draw that line. Um, because, I mean, if you're down here in the Hamilton London area, you southern Ontario is is here. Northern Ontario could be barrier. But people that live up there said, no, no, that's not north. North is Sudbury. North is, is way up near Ottawa. So I don't know where they're going to draw that line, but there is going to be a distinction uh, between the two. Uh, the one in, uh, in southern Ontario, which is going to impact just about all of us, uh, is probably going to be for at least 28 days. And the operative phrase there is at least – because uh, if they don't see a change in the numbers, well, they're probably going to extend it again. And I know how frustrating that can be as well. But, you know, the numbers indicate what they're going to do. And, and Premier Ford told us this, the medical officers of health told us this right from the get-go, that the numbers and the number of new cases is what's going to drive policy in situations like this. And uh, we can sit here and we can point fingers and say, well, it's that fault or that fault or this fault. Uh I, I don't know that we even know the answer to that. It's just I think a lot of the, the anger that we're hearing right now is just born out of frustration uh, because this thing seems to be going on and on and on. And it's let's face it, for most of us, this is new. I mean, some of us remember the SARS thing from a few years ago, but it wasn't as dramatic as this. Uh, it wasn't as global as this, and it didn't have the same impact on so many different aspects of the economy and just about every facet of our lives. And uh, that's one of the things I think that we're kind of wishing that we'd wake up one day and just find out it's gone away, but it doesn't work that way. And we're all excited about the vaccine, uh, but we have to be realistic about that. And the more information we get about that, we understand that uh, while some of the frontline workers and and vulnerable people in long-term care facilities are going to be vaccinated, and that's already started, that uh, for the general population, those 
relatively healthy people that uh, don't have any pre-existing conditions. Uh, it may well be uh, into the early summer, late spring, early summer before that sort of thing happens. Uh, we're going to talk travel ban too. And, uh, we should also mention that uh, Canada's 72 ban on 72-hour flight on bans from the United Kingdom is now underway, and there's a reason for that too, and that because we also found out over the weekend that there is a new strain of COVID-19. Uh, in the UK right now, and obviously we want to stop the spread of that. Uh, Blake Lambert has the details on that. The ban doesn't apply to cargo flights or stops where passengers don't disembark. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the border restrictions are in place to keep Canadians safe from this new strain of COVID-19. Health Canada says it's closely monitoring the genetic variant of the virus causing COVID-19 identified in the UK. It accounts for 60% of new infections in London this month. Health Canada says early evidence suggests the new strain is more transmissible, but there's no evidence at this point of symptom severity or vaccine efficacy. Blake Lambert, the Canadian Press. So this is widespread. This is worldwide. But let's face it, you know, we're concerned about the here and now and the here being uh, our area because, you know, we're just a few days away from Christmas. And, you know, what are the plans going to be like? And what are the family gatherings? If we're going to have family gatherings going to be like? Are the stores going to be open? A lot of questions about that. But there's also, I think, some questions about public health and the impact that's going to have. And to, uh, to that end, we're pleased to welcome to the program uh, Dr. Brent Belchez, who's an ER physician, senior fellow at the Fraser Institute. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. My pleasure. Good morning. Good. Uh, given the numbers that we've seen, especially over the last seven or eight days, uh, was it inevitable that we were going to move into this, this for all intents and purposes, pro- province-wide uh, lockdown? I think it's been inevitable for, for a much longer time than the last seven days. Anybody who's been watching the, the trends of cases over, uh, I would say not the last seven days, but even just the last two to three months, uh, we've all seen a very steady and very frightening trend towards greater cases on a daily uh, basis where we see clear evidence that the rate of transmission of this virus is above the threshold, which we consider to be uh, the threshold that says that this is a, a under control epidemic or pandemic. And so we always look at this R number, which is basically saying how many people is each person transmitting the virus to. And when you have a pandemic under control, that number should be under one, meaning each person that gets sick infects under one person. That is the circumstance under which you've got it under control. The case numbers are shrinking and, and, and you're in a good place. And we have steadily seen R numbers that are over one which over time you end up with what is called exponential spread, where every single person infects, say, 1.2 people or 1.5 people or whatever the number is at the time, then that person infects 1.2 to 1.5 people and so on and so forth. And the inevitable end point of that is that you end up in a place with numbers like what we have today or much, much worse if you look at what's been happening in the United States. So really, uh, absent of, of really drastic changes in fortune or drastic changes in policy, I think everybody in the healthcare community has seen this coming for at least the last two to three months. I, there's a lot of finger pointing that's going on now, Doctor, and saying, aha, you know what it is? It's these private gatherings, these private Christmas house parties, or it's these big box stores that, you know, they're not really doing the headcounts, et cetera. From a medical standpoint, does it really matter? The fact of the matter is the numbers are there, and we don't do a very good job of contact uh, tracing anyway. So so maybe it's just maybe we need to shut everything down that might be, be a source of temptation for people to gather in places. Well, I think at this point in time, you are right. It, it doesn't really matter. So there's uh, there's two ways that you control uh, a, a, an outbreak like this. So the way that you control it in the first place is you have a small enough number of people who are infected that you know where everybody's getting infected from, 
where contact tracing can be effective and you can absolutely shut things down as a result of, of contact tracing and isolation of anybody that's been exposed. And, and, and that works really well when you, when you have a low number of cases. Unfortunately, we're not in that circumstance. We're in a circumstance where there are thousands of cases. If you look at the latest data, uh, some data would suggest that over 60 to 70% of cases, we actually have absolutely no idea where they're getting infected from. So is it private gatherings? Is it the schools? Is it workplaces? Is it, you know, we have no idea. And so when you get to a point where you have this much ignorance over where people are getting infected from, there really, unfortunately, is only one solution, and that is a, a quite tight lockdown. And, and so you've seen this happen in other countries. Uh, Australia did it much earlier than we did. So if you looked at what was happening in Australia, they had quite good control of the pandemic in the early months. But then they had a, a very significant outbreak in the province of Victoria, where they, I think cases got to about six or 700 cases a day in that province. At that point in time, they realized we, we just don't have this under control anymore. We don't know where cases are coming from. And they implemented a very draconian lockdown, which basically closed down everything but the most essential of businesses. And that lasted, uh, from what I understand, six to 12 weeks. And at the end of that, you know, Australia is now at the other end of the tunnel where they have no cases and they've had no new cases for quite some time and are actually going very much back to what is considered normal living. So, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're just out of the stage of the pandemic where, where more gentle measures like contact tracing and isolation are even a possibility. So uh, there was a cause and effect there. In other words, the, the more restrictive these things are, the more effective the shutdown can be. Because I know that, for instance, Peel and, and the GTA have been under sh- this shutdown order for a couple of weeks now, and their numbers haven't really gone down significantly. As a matter of fact, there's some increases that we've shown in the last little while. Uh, is, is it because, as some of the critics are suggesting, that even with this lockdown, we're really just doing this in half measures, as a pa- opposed to what some of these other countries and jurisdictions have done? Yeah, I, I would say what we've done over the last few, few weeks in, in Toronto and Peel certainly does not meet the definition for a lockdown. So you can't be under a lockdown when you have tens of thousands of children in school every day. Uh, you know, I, I've spoken to several teachers who are working in schools who have told me that, you know, the kids are during lunch hours all with their masks off and in close proximity of each other. Uh, in the younger age groups, the kids don't have to wear masks at all. So, you know, even even if everything else was locked down, uh, we've seen lots of studies that show that kids are very, very effective at transmitting this virus. So right there, right then and there, you know, we have it, we have an obvious source for where this virus could be passing from household to household with everything else shut down. But never mind that, due to the regional nature of the lockdowns, we've seen an incredible increase in mobility between regions. So we've seen people in Peel and Toronto region now flocking to other parts of the province to go shopping, to go for entertainment, et cetera, because those parts aren't uh, locked down the way that Toronto and Peel are. And so, again, you have the opportunity for virus transmission to occur. And then finally, you know, we are seeing lots of evidence that there are workplace transmissions where some workplaces aren't taking all the precautions they should be. We've seen lots of evidence that indoor private gatherings continue uh, we've seen that the penalties for those indoor private gatherings, uh, when they are caught, are not severe enough to stop people from considering doing these. Uh, you know, I read a story most recently where um, there was a party that I believe infected 11 people. This is an illegal birthday party that infected 11 people with COVID. And the ticket that was given to the homeowner for that was $880. And if you compare that to lockdowns in other countries where uh, violating, the lock- violating the lockdown is actually a criminal penalty. And so therefore, people are very, very hesitant to break the rules because they understand that the consequences are very severe. We just haven't had any of any of the, the real hard realities that other countries have implemented as part of a real hard lockdown, at least not yet. 
Doctor, I want to get your perspective on something else too, because I see a lot of the cynicism on social media, uh, and I, I'm dismissive of a lot of it. But I thought, you know, we have to address this because this is the mindset that a lot of people seem to have these days. Is they're saying, look at the overwhelming majority of deaths from this are, are in long-term care facilities, uh, and that's spiking the numbers. Why don't we just look after them and let the rest of us just kind of toddle on here? Uh, which, and I, I understand if you're just looking at numbers, but from a medical standpoint, you're looking at a broader perspective. I mean, it's not just the number of deaths, and I don't mean to 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 belittle that, but it's the impact it's having on the healthcare system. Hospitals are full. Uh, cancer patients aren't getting in for treatment. Appointments are being missed. Surgeries are being canceled. It's it's the it's the overall effect that I think we need to be concerned about. I think you're absolutely right. I, I would say, first of all, to, to anybody that says, let's just focus on keeping long-term care residents safe, there there is no way to keep them safe and protected when there's a broader outbreak in the community. They will inevitably get exposed. And, and to anybody who, who has an argument that says somehow it's acceptable to, to state that our, our elder uh, members of our community are somehow expendable, I would say that that's just not an argument that holds any water, certainly none, none that anybody in our society should ever be entertaining as acceptable. So so I, I, I would discard that right off the bat. But, but secondly, this is not just about uh, older people or more vulnerable people. You're making a very, very valid point, which is that our intensive care units for all intents and purposes across the province are now full. And if you get hit by a car tomorrow, there's a good chance that there will be no space in the intensive care unit to care for you. If you have a heart attack, there will be no space. And we all know very, very well that things like uh, car, you know, traumas, heart attacks, strokes, et cetera, when there is space in the intensive care unit, we can take very good care of you and we can probably make sure that you have a good outcome. When there is nowhere for you to be, when there is nowhere for us to treat you, your odds of a good outcome from any of these terrible illnesses that we're routinely typically able to treat all of a sudden go very, very downhill. And so this is no longer just, as you absolutely correctly said, just about elderly people. When you have this huge outbreak and when you have all of our medical facilities tied up, this starts to affect everybody, not just people with COVID. The other point that I'll add on is I have seen several patients who are younger with COVID. Some of the younger patients have gotten very, very ill and ended up in the intensive care unit. We've seen patients in their 20s who are in the intensive care unit. We've seen patients in their 20s who have died from this. Uh, even those patients that you don't read about, that don't make the news, patients with quote-unquote mild COVID, I have patients that I've spoken to who six months after contracting COVID in the first wave are still not back to their normal life. Uh, they're still short of breath on a chronic basis. They still have they're still unable to work the way they used to. They're still unable to exercise the way they used to. So many of these cases where people say the vast majority of stats show that young people are unharmed uh, which are actually quite incorrect. This is an illness that even in many, many young people is causing chronic disability, uh, which is an awful thing to behold and something that I think most people who are healthy in their 20s and 30s would absolutely not want to come down with. So so all, all of these arguments to say that, you know, this is an old person's disease and we shouldn't worry, just don't hold any water for all of these reasons and, and certainly should not be taken seriously by anybody who's making policy decisions right now. I got about a minute left here, but on top of all that, of course, we're not even quite sure about what the long-term effects of COVID are, are we? You know, we've heard about the COVID fog that some people are experiencing and the and and the possibility of long-term neurological damage. I mean, this is the this is serious stuff, not just seniors. Absolutely, we have no idea what this will do to your body in years to come, and there are many examples of diseases that can wreak havoc for years after you get them. So things like Lyme disease and other conditions, which we are very aware of, and we're just beginning to understand this. You know, lots of young people are getting things like stroke from COVID, and you know, you don't hear about them in the death statistics. But if you get a stroke, that is lifelong disability that you will never get over. So, so we're just starting to understand this, and I would say anybody who's looking at this as something not to be worried about is certainly uh, reading the wrong sources of information and taking grave chances with their life. And their health and certainly i would i would urge them to to be much more careful and take this much more seriously 
Dr. Brent Belchez, uh, ER physician and senior fellow at the Fraser Institute. Doctor, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for adding some perspective on this uh, very important subject. Really do appreciate it. My pleasure. You have a great day, and stay well. You too. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're in the danger zone. And, and I go, people that say, oh, come on, only a few people are dying from this. Well, no, it's more than a few people, first of all. And yes, the majority of them are in long-term care facilities, but not all of them. Everybody can be impacted by this, including little kids. And some of them have been very, very sick. Some of them have died. Or they can spread it to other people. And, and that's what this whole thing is about. It's, well, remember way back in March, we started talking about, you know, flattening the curve. That's what this comes down to right now, because the curve is going shooting right through the sky now. So we have to do something about this. And I, I know it's frustrating. And I know that it gets on your nerves. And I know that you get tired of all the questions that have to be asked. But, uh, well, like Mayor Fred Eisenberger at Hamilton says, look, it, just take this in stride, won't you? It's going to be different. Uh, it is an opportunity to reset. Uh, if we all follow the rules, we may very well uh, do a you know, great job of uh, reducing the cases and allow us to get to a different uh, different place. Uh, I've seen the limited time I've been in places over the, the last couple of weeks, too. People, for the most part, are being compliant with this. Others, every now and then, just say, what are you asking me these things for? Just chill out, okay? We're all in the same situation here, and we're just trying to get, make sure this thing gets better. Uh, and, and there's a rationale for following in the sun, too. I mean, nobody should be shocked that uh, we've been moved into the, uh, the danger zone, into the gray area. Uh, to try to give us some context to this, we're pleased to welcome back to the program Paul Johnson, the director of the Emergency Center, uh, during, dealing with this uh, crisis. Uh, Paul, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. Great to be with you, Bill. I don't want to say there was a sense of inevitability to this, but when we saw the numbers continue to go up and up and up over the last really a couple of weeks, I guess, Paul, uh, I, this seems like the, the, the most practical thing to do. I mean, we, I think everybody saw this coming. Well, uh, you know, unfortunately, the numbers just didn't stop getting worse. If you think about, you know, four weeks ago when, uh, when we entered into the red category, uh, we were sitting at around 40 cases per 100,000, and today we're sitting, or yesterday, as of yesterday, sitting at 129 cases per 100,000. Uh, you know, that four-week ban uh, did nothing to stop it. Uh, more outbreaks, our hospital system now more stretched than it was, uh, you know, a month ago as well. So all of that uh, led to what I think was uh, was the only decision the province could make based on, on the, the numbers, based on what's happening here in this community. And it appears today that, uh, you know, this is going to be what we're going to experience across uh, the province uh, for at least a few weeks and in southern Ontario maybe for the next month as well that everybody will be placed into these types of restricted categories in order to uh, to do what we need to do, which is protect our healthcare system and uh, stop the spread of this virus. Did you have evidence, even anecdotal evidence, Paul, because I know you guys talk about this every day, uh, about uh, area jumping people from restricted areas moving into less restricted to go and get their shopping done? Yeah, certainly, uh, we, we saw that uh, both from direct conversations with merchants as well as as just uh, the anecdotal uh, piece and 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 so there was there's lots of the movement that does happen we saw it in earlier waves uh, of this uh, pandemic as well where people were finding outlets perhaps even when we were all in the same boat but coming to communities where there were more outdoor amenities we saw this with our uh, with our waterfall areas and other things in in hamilton because they just other communities didn't have the same types of outdoor amenities, so we saw the movement happening, and, and that's a concern as well. This is a time we're coming into over the next period of time, uh, certainly through the holidays, where people just have to stay to their own household. We are back to where, in many ways, the messaging is back to where it was when we began this. 
uh, stay with your own households, go out only when you absolutely have to. And this is absolutely not the time to do anything socially with people who aren't in your household, unless you live alone. And then you can uh, uh, connect up with one other household that you feel safe and comfortable with. But it is only that exclusive household. It's not moving from household to household to household just because you live on your own and visiting a whole bunch of folks uh, pairing up. We don't want people to be isolated and feel isolated, particularly at this time of year. But it has to be very limited connection and only for those who live alone. And, and again, as I was just saying to our previous guest, I mean, yeah, the, the number of deaths are, are very troubling, obviously. I mean, one is one too many, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it's it's the people that are getting sick that are, are burdening the healthcare system. I mean, you know, they, they may not be dying, but they're in hospitals. Some of them are in ICUs, and uh, which is meaning that somebody else who might have cardiac problems or something else that needs to go in ICU, there may or may not be room for them because of, of capacity problems at some of these hospitals. So the, you have to look at this, and I know you talk to, to the hospitals in this area on a, on a daily basis about what the numbers look like. Uh, and and I, I can understand the angst now to simply say, look at, uh, you know, we've got to look at this and the impact it's having on the entire healthcare system, not just uh, what's happening in long-term care facilities. Well, absolutely. And as the case numbers continue to go up and, you know, recognize we're, we have just under a thousand active cases now in, in Hamilton and, and we've not seen numbers like this through the pandemic. So uh, that's a lot of, of active cases. Um, yes, lots have been resolved, but that number of active cases, yeah, yeah, the percentages play out. Um, for, for some, this becomes a very uh, difficult illness. Uh, for some, it requires some level of hospitalization. And for some, uh, it, it is fatal. And, and that's the reality. As numbers keep going up, we know that more people will enter into the hospital system. Thankfully, it's not high, high percentages of, of people or we'd already be completely overwhelmed. But the reality is it's there. And so as the cases continue to grow, uh, we know that that's an eventuality. And it's not always people who live in retirement homes or long-term care facilities that are getting very sick uh, or having long-lasting impacts of this. And that's the piece that, uh, that we need to continue to stress is that this, this virus is, uh, is very dangerous. Uh, we do not have immunity to it. And it can cause long-term effects uh, even if you don't require hospitalization or need to go on a ventilator in an ICU, it can have long-lasting effects on your health. And it's just uh, best that we not allow this to continue to spread and do what we can to stop it. Uh, are you worried about the public perception on this, that maybe a lot of folks think, hey, we got this thing beat because the numbers were down in the summer? And and you have well, a couple of high-profile people anyway, like Trump and Giuliani, saying this is a treatable disease. I had it, and I was out of the hospital in four days, and I feel fine. Uh First of all, nobody that goes in there is going to get the level of treatment that those two guys got. Uh, and secondly, it impacts different people in different ways. And it's, it's the long-term effect, I think, that we need to be cognizant of here. Well, we really do. And, and I, I do worry anytime somebody down, downplays this. And, and I, I, you know, you can look at the numbers and you can say, well, this isn't this big a deal. Well, it is a big deal. And for those who have uh, become ill with this, even in a minor way, who, who recover and were down. They, this, this is not a cold. This is not the flu. This is something that's very different. And, and uh, you know, why we wouldn't take the efforts we can take in order to stop uh, the spread of this uh, just continues to, to baffle me. And we're coming into a period of time where naturally people want to get together. They want to celebrate. They want to be with one another. And I get all of that. And I think the, uh, you know, the challenge I'm throwing out to uh, Hamiltonians is, uh, you know, do your part. Uh, we know that the end of this is in sight. Uh, we know what will stop this, and that's this mass vac vaccination uh, approach, which is going to happen through throughout 2021. 
so the end is in sight. It's no longer a question of, of if, it's, it's when we can get all of that done. And so my call is a very positive one. It's like, let's rally together. Let's be what Hamilton is, which is a community that responds to all sorts of challenges. And this is our challenge today, Bill. Our challenge is to forgo those, uh, those connections and those celebrations and those parties and those uh, gatherings that we're so used to um, for this year and say that we were going to have some, some of those times in the future and we're going to make them even more epic than ever before. But right now we need to actually have a more positive attitude about this and rather than worrying about you know, whether a restriction is correct or not, say we're going to do our part here in Hamilton like we have on so many other challenges in our history. And I think this is the challenge for Hamilton today. Paul, what does gray look like? Uh, I, you know, I, we've got little snippets of what well, means this means that. It's a little bit more stringent than this. Uh, basically, I can't go into a restaurant and, and get a meal right now under this restriction. That's right. There is no dining indoors or outdoors. If you're, uh, and we do encourage people to support uh, local restaurants for sure. But it is takeout. It is pickup. Uh, it is uh, delivery of, of food only. There is no patio. I know that's a bit of confusion. Oh, I can dine outdoors, but not indoors. No, you can't dine outdoors or indoors. It's uh, no dining in those types of places. Most of our indoor recreation facilities, gyms, rec centers, those types of things are all closed unless you're an elite athlete or or play in a professional sports league. Uh, Retail-wise, most non-essential retail closed except for pickup and uh, delivery, again, of items. Uh, Malls, if you're going to the mall, you can only go in to pick up items. Uh, You can't go into the stores. You can't go and do the shopping. And so this is really heading back to all of, you know, personal care services uh, shut down. Uh, this is back to the spring. People will remember many of these things. Uh, they're, they're very much the same uh, today. And the premier has indicated there may even be more stricter uh, restrictions coming uh, when he speaks at uh, uh, this afternoon. So we'll wait and see on that. But this is very much, uh, you're not going out to do anything except those things that are essential. And the other piece I will say is it is, uh, it is not uh, acceptable to have any level of social gathering indoors. There is no limit. There is no number. There, that is there. It is your household and your household only. And uh, the only exceptions to that is if you receive care within your home or somebody has to come in and repair something in your home. And then, of course, anybody coming in must wear a mask at all times uh, and keep that physical distancing if they do need to come in to provide either personal care or do an emergency repair to a furnace or something like that. Of course, those things can continue. So this is really about restricting gatherings and uh, restricting people to be doing some of these things indoors and uh, now outdoors uh, that, um, uh, quite frankly, have been driving a social element to this. And, and that's where the transmission is occurring. I was going to ask you about those uh, home repair visits because I mean, you're right, we're getting into the chilly time of year where that can happen. And uh, I'd hate to think that people are not going to be able to do that. That's for all sense of purposes. If it's minus 10 outside, that's an essential service. Uh, but I guess the advice there is keep a mask on, both the person who's doing the, the repair and, and the rest of the people in the house, and stay away from each other. And don't lean over their shoulders saying, what are you doing now? What's that wrench for? I mean, you know, we, we've got to be a little more cautious about spacing here, don't we? We do. And, and absolutely, there are essential things that have to get done, whether that's a repair to a home uh, or whether, as I say, it's some of the uh, – uh, the, the home-based health services and support services that uh, many people have, uh, those can absolutely continue to occur. They need to be done safely, and, they, and, um, and, and masks are really the way, and distancing is really the way that we protect ourselves. And that's been a message from very early on in this pandemic, and it continues today. If we keep our masks on, if we keep that six, 
six feet or two meter distance between one another, uh, then we, we dramatically, dramatically reduce the transmission. And then the other pieces are if we wash our hands regularly uh, and, and uh, try not to touch our face as much, again, dramatically reduce the possibility of the spread of this virus. And so those things, again, pretty simple to do, pretty straightforward. Uh, but the piece that's been added on, and people should make no mistake about this, that uh, now that we are in this lockdown category, uh, social gatherings of any kind, not happening. So your holiday plans are likely, if they should have been changed already, and now they absolutely have to be changed uh, by regulation. The social gatherings seem to be a, a constant that we hear from, from yourself and medical professionals right across the province, Paul. Uh, and, and which is why I guess the, you know, the other side of that coin is to say, well, why are you shutting down restaurants then? Because they don't seem to be part of the problem. Uh, as long as they're adhering to the number of people that are allowed in and things of this nature. Uh, but it seems to be the, as you say, the private gatherings. And, uh, you know, I've heard, and I'm certain you've heard, uh, uh, anecdotally anyway, of, of the odd, you know, restaurant or banquet hall that's opening the back door and say, oh, come on, so my buddy, we can let the 20 people in there to celebrate their anniversary. Uh, some clandestine meetings, I guess, that are going on in situations like that. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's part of the problem. I mean, you, you and bylaw can't be everywhere. We can't be. And that's why this is a challenge to all of us to, to do what we need to do to rally around this, uh, to keep these numbers manageable. Uh, while we are continuing to see the rollout of this vaccine uh, a program, which is the ultimate end to this to this uh, crisis in our community. And, yeah, we don't have and never will have enough bylaw officers to be knocking on every door and checking in and peeking in on every uh, holiday uh, gathering or holiday dinner. Um, but we are going to be out in force. We can attend private residences. Um, many, Much of that, of course, will be, will be complaint-based, but we can come to your home and and uh, enforce the regulations uh, within your home and so i think that you know i hate to use that as the way because i would hope i would hope that people would look at this uh, bill the other way around which is to say i want to do my part i want to celebrate the fact i'll find different ways to engage and have fun with my family and friends uh, whether it's through this holiday season or into the new year but i'm going to do it in a safe way i'm going to do it in a way that uh, that's prescribed in these regulations and and you know what? It's it's painful for all of us. Uh, I'm sure you're not thrilled with it. I know I am not thrilled no. with it myself. But uh, you know what? Uh, I can I can do it, and I think Hamiltonians can as well. We should also remind people that the uh, the edict that we got from the provincial government about the Hamilton situation specifically, it's for four weeks. It's 28 days. Uh, so I mean, even if we're you know being compliant with this, uh, we can pretty much count on this being in play until about the middle of January. Yeah, it, it is for 28 days, and, and that could be a little bit longer, depending on what happens today with uh, what, what's rumored to be kicking in for for Thursday. So, you know, this is definitely through to the middle of uh, or late January, and, and we'll see where the numbers go. This has to be driven by what's happening with the numbers. And so folks will have to realize that, that some of the things that would kick off uh, January 4th when, when kids were supposed to be going back to school, and, of course, we'll see whether that's going to be the case either, um, all these things are going to be off the table, and you'll have to find different ways of, of having fun. The good news is we're going to have lots of outdoor activities available and encouraging people to get outdoors and, and, um, and do that safely as well. But uh, this is going to be a different start of the year. The whole winter is going to be a very tough time as we continue to, to wait for the vaccine strategy to get enough people vaccinated through the year that, uh, that we can really see the difference. And so for this next period of time, uh, the only way to keep these numbers down are to do the things that we're talking about. Limit your contacts, wear masks, keep your distance, 
And right now, very much just keep to your own household and uh, stay home and stay close to home and only go out if you really need to. Paul, when it comes to enforcement, uh, and bylaw, of course, is, is in charge of that, uh, is, is there any discretion there in, in situations? And I, I mean, the indoor stuff is the indoor stuff, and I mean, that's that's verboten. We we get that. Uh, but we've seen a couple of examples of people complaining and saying, hey, I was just you know playing road hockey, and I got told to back off at things of this nature. And uh, I mean, outdoor activities are still being encouraged I mean, that's even better to be outdoors than it is indoors these days but you know we're heading into ski season now we've got a little bit of snow up north anyway some of these regions so and can you shed some light on that as, as to exactly how this is going to pan out so really when you're doing any activity indoor or outdoor it should be with your household right now uh, so that's the first piece and then depending on the activity uh, you may be able to our our outdoor ice rinks are going to be uh, are going to be open, so you can book time and go and skate outdoors. We're not exactly sure how many people uh, after this afternoon will be allowed on those uh, surfaces, but uh, you know it's a great way to get out with your family. There may be other activities that you're able to do. I mean, the hockey leagues and that are not happening, but there's lots of other uh, pieces you can have. And back to the piece about bylaw, much more of the work of our bylaw officers has been around educating. Uh, you know, they they apply the fines and the penalties and the charges when it's very clear that people uh, were just not uh, were just not paying attention. So we still still do some education, but I will say that it is much more um, uh, focused now on on the compliance of that. And sometimes the only way to grab people's attention is to have a very large fine levied, and and that's what we will do in cases where we feel we need to. But uh, we're still out educating and. And yeah, you know, for things that that are are clearly people trying to understand what's going on, uh, we get it, and we're we're very conscious of that. But if we were to attend a, a home, for instance, and find 15 people all gathered together for a party or a dinner, um, the answer to that is you do you do know better, you should know better. And unless your household size is 15 and they all live there, I expect to be fined. Paul Johnson, uh, Director of Emergency Services uh, for the COVID uh, response here in the Hamilton area. Uh, Paul, as always, thank you so much for taking some time and, and adding some perspective on this. Uh, stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk again soon. You bet. Same to you, Bill. Thanks very much. Take care. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. A couple of weeks ago, as we were figuring out what was going to be happening over the Christmas break and heading into 2021, uh, we had Education Minister Stephen Lecce on the program, and I asked him, uh, because there was some speculation at that time, that they may extend the Christmas break for kids. And well, this is what the minister had to say. The chief medical officer of health has uh, discretion to extend it where he believes the risk uh, poses a potential uh, threat to the safety of kids. So, uh, as I say, his direction and advice will inform what we do next, but I'm proud that Ontario really is in a unique position to offer this type of testing in addition to all the other layers of protection that no province has. And I don't take from, for a moment, Bill, that this isn't tough. It's, it's a challenge. But keeping schools open, I believe, is the most pressing societal imperative of any government, of any society. What is more important? Well, uh, and times have changed in two weeks. Uh, the minister seemed pretty adamant about that and had actually made the decision that, no, there was going to be no extension. Uh, but the numbers continue to go up, uh, in, even in Hamilton schools. Uh, Ten more cases reported this past Friday, 45 cases in four days. So the decision has been made now to extend that uh, Christmas break uh, for at least a week. Uh, and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that students are just going to be sitting around the house doing nothing. Uh, but it does, uh, well, change things for the Board of Education, doesn't it? 
And uh, to that end, uh, we wanted to bring in the uh, chair of the Hamilton Board of Education, uh, Don Danko, the newly elected chair of the uh, Hamilton Board of Education, to talk about exactly what this is going to do and how it's going to impact the students. Uh, Don, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, did you anticipate this happening when the rumors were going around last week that, uh, that it looked like we were going to move into the, to the gray zone? Well, good morning, Bill, and thanks for having me. I would say last week there was a, a number of times where the government seemed to be floating that trial balloon that they like to do, where they were hinting at the possibility of going to remote. And I'll be honest, initially, we didn't think that was going to be the direction because they were very clear in November when they said, yeah. no, we are not extending. The, he was, the he was pretty adamant when I, him, when I hit him on the show. He was pretty adamant. He said, no, no, you know, education matters. And he looked at the numbers at that time, and I know you heard this story, and said, well, they're probably safer in school. Uh, and I, I'm not going to ask you to get inside his head as to what changed here, but clearly the numbers going up and up and up uh, had some sort of influence over what the chief medical officer had decided to do. Well, and so it's interesting, Bill, that you mentioned that because right now the writing's been on the wall. We know where the numbers are going. This is not a surprise. So mm -hmm. we knew weeks ago that we were into a, an exponential growth curve of COVID cases. That means they're going to continue to escalate. So we really wanted to see some leadership here um, from the ministry. We wanted to see some clear decision making, some clear direction, because when this happens, when there's ideas floated out, there was some backpedaling last week. Now there's some clear suggestions that there will be an announcement today to, to let us know what's going to happen for the first week of January, um, even for, for when Hamilton was going into a lockdown. Um, when you don't have clear direction, that creates a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety, um, certainly for our board, for our families, for our staff. Uh, it creates some complicated situations where we are now going to operationalize um, getting devices out to families, shifting to remote for January. But I'm sure you know that the school system shut down for the winter break on Friday. So yeah. you can imagine the complicated uh, how that complicates things unnecessarily. We could have had this decision earlier, and, and that's the leadership we were really hoping for. Well, the, the thing that I think gave it away, though, Don, is I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday of last week when uh, Minister Lecce said, uh, listen, uh, when they go for their school break, uh, take your school supplies home with you. Uh, okay, red flag. What, you know, why would he even suggest that unless this was imminent? Well, yes, and we spent the latter half of last week trying to clarify for families what did that mean because it was out in the media. There was a suggestion that, well, this might mean an extended break. Families are wondering, do I need to plan for this? Staff are wondering, do I need to plan for this? So as a board, of course, we have a plan to go to remote, and there was an extensive amount of work done last week to make sure that we could pivot in January if needed. But with the media coverage, it really wasn't clear. It was, it was a hint. It was a suggestion, but not clear direction. And really, that's what we need when, when the ministry and the government are making decisions right now. We need clarity. Um, I, I have to say that our board has really stepped up to lead through the pandemic. And through this fall, it's been a tough fall. But we advocated for a staggered start and really had to push to get that, to have a smooth transition for staff and students into schools. We set our mask policy for K-12 to when they had only set one for 4 to 4 to 12. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're we've been doing as well as we have in schools. We allocated $9 million to reduce class sizes 
and we just received some additional funding from the ministry um, recently, and we appreciate that. But it was a little too little and a little too late because we still had to have this massive reorganization um, despite the, the money that we invested as a board uh, because the ministry didn't step up and recognize the challenges our systems were facing. So this is a time where we really need some clear direction. We need them not to be communicating through the media, but two people, two boards. Um, it's unfortunate when when organizations hear from the media what what the next steps are going to be. Well, I, I can understand the frustration, and if from your standpoint, uh, both as the chair and as a, as a trustee, uh, but also as a parent. I mean, you know, you, you know, you, you and your husband are working people. You just can't say, "Oh, I'll take the week off. Don't worry about it." Uh, it. It doesn't work that way. And there's thousands and thousands of other parents in the same situation. That you know, based on what the, the government had told them two weeks ago, said, "Okay, I can go back to work. I don't have to worry about that. The kid's going to be back in school," and that's changed. And and especially with, with the wording of this, Don, that suggests at least one week. In other words, if the numbers are to their satisfaction, could be extended. You don't know that. And that's that uncertainty again. Exactly. And we're really fortunate to be able to work from home. And we, our children are a bit older, so they, they can be independent if we get them set up. So we're in a good position as a family. But there are so many families where parents are both working outside of the home. That is a very challenging thing. If you've chosen to put your child to in-person learning, there's, there's a good reason for that. And I know some people have done it for social reasons, to have their children socially interacting in person. But many are doing it because they don't have a choice to keep their children at home. Uh, for remote learning. So we recognize the challenge this poses to so many of our families and to our staff. So we have staff members that will have their children learning from home while they are trying to teach um, from home. And so I, I appreciate that we are giving families notice because if this decision came the last week of December, that would be even more problematic. But again, let's be clear. The numbers are not going to shift. There's nothing happening right now that is going to see a significant change in numbers in two weeks. So make the decision now, is what I would say to the government. But there are some numbers that could shift. And, and I'm going to give you a, a hypothetical example, but I mean, you guys have lived this for the last two months, so I'm, th I'm sure you can relate to this. How many families are going to go through this and say, you know what, to, to heck with this, we're just going to stay home and do the virtual learning. Uh, this, you know, on again, off again thing is just driving me nuts. We need some consistency here. I, 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 is there uh, a best before, can they still make that decision? Can they still opt to simply say, okay, we're going to do the, uh, the virtual learning instead? So... While we are trying to accommodate any family that does need to shift to remote learning for whatever reason, usually there's some exceptional circumstances that we would consider that on an ongoing basis. But we have to consider as a system, um, we have some structures in place. We have collective agreements in place. We need to make sure there's room in a class to welcome a student in. So it's not as simple as just if you want to go to remote, yes, we'll We'll move you over there. Um, we need to make sure that we have the right uh, people in place, the right class sizes in place to allow for that to happen. So for families who have a need, um, we absolutely will work with them to try to make that transition. The next time that we have an opportunity for families to say, you know, I really would like to transition either to remote or to in-person from remote, um, they can signal that it'll be around the, the third week of January. They can let us know that they would like to do that, and then we have to put measures into place to make sure that we have space and can accommodate students. And we don't have the same flexibility that we had in the fall because we can't undergo a massive reorganization again, um, but we might have to see some small shifting around so that we can accommodate families. Donna, are you concerned that uh, 
with this new change now and, and some students who had opted to do in-class learning are now going to be doing it virtually. Uh, as, as you and I have discussed in the past, it's not for everyone. And, and there's a concern here that there could be frustration uh, with parents and with the kids in a situation like that, especially if this is extended for any amount of time. I think that's a great point. Um, we, we've already seen that, that for some families it really didn't work and they needed to shift their child back to in-person learning. Um, we know that it is, it's challenging to be in front of a device all day for anybody and our teachers and our educators do a great job at building in activities uh, for students to do, but you do need some level of oversight or supervision, particularly for younger children at home and not, not every family has the capacity to do that. Um, I would say that if this is an extended period, one of the major concerns is those families who don't either have access to devices or to the internet or they have not necessarily no access but poor connectivity. So if you have a teacher, and I think we've all experienced this where your internet is unstable or you know, you've, you're working with someone who's in rural Hamilton or Flamborough and they don't have the best internet connection, if you're doing synchronous um, learning where you're doing learning online uh, with a video on or with audio, and it cuts out, that, that can make it a really challenging situation. Um, so we do have an, a, a very comprehensive plan. We have about 6,000 devices ready to be deployed to families, but we need time to do that. So that would need to be the initial step, uh, the beginning of January to get devices, some of those internet enabled for the families who need them. Otherwise, we are going to be missing out on uh, connecting with sp certain families who might already have some level of... Um, challenge or disadvantage that that we need to be addressing. So uh, certainly we have a comprehensive plan for that. We will have to have a deployment um, strategy and we'll communicate that with our families. Um, depending on how long that period is, if it's one week, two weeks, we, we haven't heard that yet. Um, we, we certainly will do everything we can to support our families, but like you say, it's not going to be the perfect situation for everybody. No, absolutely not. And there's going to be individual frustrations with families, too, as well. As uh, one computer guy told me the other day when I was calling to complain about my service, he says, you know how many people are using this stuff now? Uh, you know, there's a traffic jam on the information highway. There are going to be dropouts. Well, that's going to be awfully frustrating for students. Uh, there is a solution, of course. You can try to increase the, the input into your house at your cost. Uh, and some parents, you know, may or may not be able to afford to do that, too. So it's, uh, as you say, it's not a perfect situation at all. And, and this indecision about how long this is going to be. And to that point, I wanted to ask you, do you have any clarity on what's going on with secondary school students, uh, in, especially in in-class learning? Of course, they're going to remain closed for the entire 28-day period, but does that mean uh, virtual learning is going to occur? Uh, and is it going to impact them for all 28 days or just the, the extended week that they were talking about? So at this point, waiting for additional clarity on that as well. Like At this point, there hasn't been uh, a firm, clear communication to board staff. We are waiting for the announcement today, just like everybody else, and apparently we're going to hear it the same time as everybody else. And that has yep. been the trend. That has been what this government has done. Uh, they, they often communicate with organizations that are impacted after the fact. Um, so we will wait to hear what the direction is. For our secondary students, they are already engaging primarily online in online learning or remote mm -hmm. learning. Um, they spend, you know, a, ha a morning every other day in person in class. So I think the shift they, um, for secondary students will not be as challenging. I will, I will add the caveat that this has been a very challenging year for our secondary students. This is not the, the 
high school experience that, that many of them have expected if they're new to high school, and certainly it's been a challenge for students who have already experienced high school. Um, so we are well positioned. All of our students in high school have a one-to-one -one device already, so we don't need to worry about deploying devices. Our teachers have already been teaching virtually in the afternoons. Um, so I, I think that transition will be uh, easier, and again, we'll look for direction on how long a period that might be. But again, it's got to be awfully frustrating for you to be watching the press conferences just like we are. And, and it, because it's, it's one thing for somebody like me to listen to this. I, I have to report about it and I'm going to talk about it. You've got to plan policy on it. Well, and that's... That's just it. And I would <laughs> I would imagine the ministry might say that they've signaled since the summer we need to be prepared to move between different models of learning at any time. So at any time we have the opportunity or we might be directed to move to an adaptive day for elementary. So that would be every other day so that we could have smaller class sizes or we could go right into remote learning. It's interesting we haven't actually leverage that adaptive day model where we would have students half the class every other day in elementary and, and we are just looking to going to remote. Um, but as much as we have the plans in place, depending on when they're deployed, so following a break, that's a different, um, we, different things need to be considered for operationalizing that, for communicating with families um, versus if this happened while we we're in session. Are you concerned about the impact this could have on special needs students? Absolutely. And, and that is one of our, our groups. Uh, so we know we have a number of different students that have additional challenges if we have to shift to remote learning. And so special education students um, with additional needs, with a, they need additional supervision, they need additional support, they need more one-on-one -on -one interaction. Um, that is more challenging to provide. Now, we, we have had our special education team um, developing different strategies and supports for spec ed students. But again, when you take the entire system and say, well, now we're going to move you to remote, you can imagine there are going to be some, some challenges with filling all of the gaps there absolutely well i guess we'll just have to wait and see what they say later on today and uh, as you've been doing for the last little while just respond to it uh, don as always thanks so much for this uh, good luck with this and i'm sure we'll stay in touch over the next few days thank you and bill if i can just remind people please 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 do what you need to do to keep one another safe we are all part of this we are all part of the solution over the holidays you need to follow the rules. Um, everybody have a happy and safe holiday, and thank you so much, Bill. Okay, thank you, Don. Don Danko, the uh, chair, of course, of the Hamilton Board of Education. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.